0: Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but the ebook is free to download. And I know that you're at home right now under uh, COVID-19 quarantine. You have all the time to read in the world. What a perfect opportunity for you to check out Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. And once you've enjoyed that, come back and see me with money for Banneker Bones and the alligator people. Uh, I'm coming soon, hopefully June 14th. Move the date just a little bit. Although with uh, the way the year is going, We'll play it by year, but eventually the third uh, installment in the series, Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, will be available. I'm very excited about that. And then, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I write stories for older readers, such as All Together Now, a Zombie Story, my young adult novel, uh, and then the Book of David, which hopefully you know. Uh, One thing I did uh, under quarantine, just to keep myself from climbing the walls, is I recorded an audiobook of uh, Chapter 1 of the Book of David. The Book of David, of course, is uh, a serial horror novel broken up into five chapters. I call them chapters. The fifth chapter is the longest of any of my books. Um, But I uh, did a a reading of Chapter 1, which hit the feed earlier this week. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to it. Uh, If you're interested in adult reading and you've always wanted to to hear me use profanity, my God, you have that opportunity. Uh, If that's not your thing, no worries. Plenty of uh, past content for you to listen to. But if you do like adult horror stories and you're curious, you can get the Book of David, Chapter 1 read by me for free just check the episode before this or check youtube you can find it there of course check middlegradeninja.com and while you're there read uh, interviews with hundreds of publishing professionals authors folks you'll be interested in as well as you'll get access to the entire back catalog and we've all got way too much time on our hands right now wouldn't you love to go back and listen to all the wonderful authors uh, and literary agents and editors and publicists that I've talked with uh, over the past two years. What a wonderful opportunity for you. I am so excited for you, esteemed audience that you have those shows waiting for you. Uh, So that's it. That's plenty. Uh, My guest today is literary agent Christy Hunter. Christy, how are you today?
1: Good, good. Thanks so much for having me, Rob.
0: I am thrilled that you're making time here in the middle of this pandemic to (laughs) (laughs) sit down and and talk publishing with me. And I I made a note to make sure I do this. Uh, Today, Christy and I are talking on April 9th is when we're recording this. Um, So if you're wondering why we didn't mention the armada flying saucers that landed in California, uh, it's because it happened after April 9th and we didn't know about it. The way the news has been moving, I feel it's very important to let you know where we were and how much information we had at the time you're hearing us talk. So that being said, Christy, um, how are you holding up under quarantine?
1: You know, pretty, pretty well. I actually work from home. So it hasn't been too much of a change. You know, I'm used to having, you know, my computer, I have all my files set up. I will say I have two new co workers that are a little bit noisier than normal. So that's been challenging, especially um, emails are easy. But whenever you're diving into a manuscript, I love just like a chunk of time. And that's been hard. But um, otherwise holding up pretty good. I mean, considering it's a global pandemic, I mean, as good as you can expect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Next pandemic, will be experts. Yes, yeah, yeah, we'll so I will ask.
1: approach everything differently. I'll be a little bit more organized going in. <laughs>
0: but, um, we'll yeah. talk uh, a little bit about everything. I don't know, it's a conversation. Who knows where we'll, where we'll end up before we're done, but probably a good spot to start um, is I am terrible at summarizing other people's biographies um and plus how painful for you to have to sit through that when you're right there and you know the information uh so if you would please tell esteemed audience uh, a little bit about you and your background in publishing thus far
1: yeah um so i right out of college went to the columbia publishing course i really wanted to get involved in publishing i had never been to new york new york kind of scared me and also enchanted me um so it was a really great way to to get my foot in there um just learn about all the jobs in publishing too because so often um, I think people just think, oh, I'll be an editor, you know, what other jobs are there in publishing besides editing? And there's really so many things you can explore. Um, so from there, I interned in Bloomsbury's editorial department. I went to work and publicity at Grove Atlantic, publicity at Random House Children's Book. And then finally, uh, I did leave New York and I became an agent, uh, which is where I am now at the night agency
0: there's a lot to unpack there. Right. Uh, Starting the world prior to the big move to New York.
1: Um, I'm from Cleveland. Originally, I was in school at Nashville. Um, I did a women's and gender studies major and an English lit major. Um, and through the English lit major, I started to do all these creative writing classes. And at one time, I thought, you know, being a writer would be Right. And what I realized doing all these workshop classes is that I actually really like working with writers and bringing out other people's stories and hearing what they're trying to achieve on the page. Um, so much more than I ever really liked writing my own stuff or having my own stuff critiqued. Um, so right away, I was like, maybe maybe this is something I could do with stories. And I went to the Columbia publishing course thinking I would want to be an editor. And I end up having my career, you know, take me in a completely different direction. Completely is probably a strong word, a slightly different direction uh, from there. But, yeah.
0: So just curious, because I'm, uh, you know, very egocentric. I, I just recorded my own audio book. Wouldn't you like to hear my book read by me? Um, <laughs> but uh, when I critique, it's usually because I know that if I give you great advice and help you, one, that's going to help me write better, because I'm going to learn from your mistakes, you in this case, being the any writer I've ever critiqued. Um, and but really i'm i'm looking forward to that uh, receiving back on the on, on 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 the on the on the, on the payback uh, i i want to see your notes for my manuscript um, so when did it occur to you that it's just more fun to give than to receive as it were <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pretty early on, I just really love looking at a story, looking at characters, really digging. People will always say that I ask so many questions like in any given situation, I'm like, what happened? What did?" What? And people are like, that's too many questions. But when you're an editor, that's exactly what you're doing. You're asking all these questions and really getting to the core and making sure what the author sees is what's coming through on the page. Because that's sometimes the hardest thing. Um, an author may have an idea in their head, but it's not translating. And that's what I really get to do and what I really loved in critiquing um, and what I still get to do as an agent.
0: So when did you decide that out of the, the the different jobs you attempted, because you were an editor, you were a publicist for a couple of different places, <laughs> when did you say, "Ah, oh, the light bulb goes off literary agent, that's where it's at?
1: you know i always was from the columbia publishing course i actually originally thought how great an agent would be i love the idea of working on contracts being an advocate for authors being able to do some editing what really made me nervous was it's a commission pay and i was in new york and that's a hard city to be on a commission pay um so right away i wrote it off um And it wasn't until i was looking to move out of new york and really stay in publishing i was like maybe this is an opportunity to pursue this job that i've always wanted and i've been kind of scared to do um so it was really great to move to atlanta and be able to join the night agency i've liked all my jobs um you know when you're working with books you're working with books which i think is a joy in itself um you know publicity i think you get to be really organized you get to be really creative and i love that but for me, aging kind of involved everything, it's editing, it is, you know, publicity and reviewing publicity plans. And I kind of like that it did incorporate so much. Um, but it was a risk. It's always scary to, it's, it's a hard job and it's a hard market and it's hard being in New York doing this kind of um, job that isn't salary structured like some of the others at publishing houses.
0: Well, that's something that I'm a little bit hopeful. I've been banging this drum for a while. Esteemed audience is probably tired of hearing me talk about it, uh, but I want to see publishing decentralized out of New York. And I'm hoping uh, that one thing out of coming uh, coming out of having so many people suddenly working remote uh, out of the office is they'll they'll uh, enable these workarounds that. Uh, Publishers don't have to spend the the tremendous amounts of of rent to to to, to be in the in the most expensive city in the world. That they can move out to Indiana, might right, be in Atlanta or Atlanta. I uh, say, so having worked both in New York and now doing this in Atlanta, what I mean, what are the big differences? Are there things that you're not able to do in Atlanta that you would only be able to do in New York?
1: You know, I I don't really think so. The world has changed so much in terms of technology. So much is online, you know, so much is done by phone calls and email in a way that used to, business used to be more face-to-face. I will say, I go up to New York a couple times a year to get those face-to-face meetings. I personally love them. I don't think you need to have them. I think a lot can be achieved, you know, by a phone call. Um, but I always say, you know, agents in New York, they maybe do a lunch a week, a lunch here. My schedule is like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Coffee, coffee, lunch, coffee, coffee, drink, coffee, coffee. You know, so I, I kind of just pack my little FaceTime visits a little bit closer together. Um, but I think, you know, thanks to technology, you really don't need to be anywhere. So it's really interesting what you're saying, because I think what a, a lot, you know, publishing is trying to get these new voices in the door. And a lot of it is these economic barriers of how expensive New York is. Um, to, to be able to expand it to other cities would be really wonderful. And I think... You know, we're getting to the point where we probably have the technology to make that happen. Yeah, why not?
0: Why couldn't you be in uh, my hometown of Lebanon, Indiana, population that I think of the time I lived there, less than 30,000? Uh, <laughs> you could go sit. We didn't have a Starbucks. We we had our own special coffee place that was a mom and pop shop. Why couldn't you sit there with a laptop and, 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 and be everybody's connected to the world as somebody in the bustling crowd?
1: Yeah, I think it's entirely possible now, which is great. Um, I love it. I mean, New York is my favorite city, but I kind of feel like I have the best of both worlds. I have Atlanta. And then when I go, you know, I get to see my editor friends, my publicist funds, and, you know, kind of have it both.
0: So I've heard about a lot about the Columbia publishing course, and I'm uh- automatically just a little bit jealous of anybody who got to take it. <laughs> I guess it sounds fantastic. What uh, what was that course? What did that entail and what was that experience?
1: Yeah, that was great. Gosh, now it feels so long ago. I did it in 2010, so 10 years ago. Um, and it's six weeks and you kind of just get to hear from all these fantastic publishing professionals, like the big names. And you get to kind of see what day-to-day life looks like in a publishing house like I touched on earlier, you get to see the other jobs because obviously there's so much that goes into a book, not just editing, to make it end up on the shelf. Um, so you get that kind of global overview of what to expect at a publishing house. And then for me personally, I got to meet so many wonderful people who would go on to work in the publishing industry, um, which was really nice. When you're moving to a new city, it can be kind of intimidating. And right there, you know, you have a wonderful friend group with a very central interest of books. Um, so I felt really fortunate and you just get to know New York a little bit. If you haven't been to New York and can kind of be, I'm from the suburbs of Cleveland. So it was kind of a different beast for me. Um, you know, the subway, I'd never really done public transportation. So it was all kind of overwhelming. Um, and you stay in these dorms in Columbia. So it's kind of a great way to, to like dip your foot into New York. If you haven't spent there instead of just diving in, at least for me, it was.
0: And then I, I love age uh, and horror stories, <laughs> or, or anybody in publishing. Were you uh, Were you able to get uh, a studio apartment just for you once you left Columbia? Or were you Were you doing the roommate scene?
1: Oh, I had a roommate. Actually, it was really funny. It was it someone I knew from college? And I had this laundry list of everything we were going to have in our apartment. I was like, you know, it needs to be at least this big, and it needs to be close to a grocery store. And I'd like, the, and he's like, okay. That's not what you're getting you're getting a hole in the wall and you're gonna love it. And that's the all we can afford. And I was like, Oh okay. So it took me a little while to realize what it would look like. It was a pretty gross apartment, but it you know, it was wonderful too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now you're in Atlanta, so um Tesla Night Agency there. They're just outside of Atlanta, right? Just
1: outside. So I'm in Atlanta, the city, and then uh, the night agency is located in Madison, Georgia, which is about an hour east of here.
0: And we're gonna we're gonna talk about all all over the place a little bit because I've got lots of questions. I want to talk with you more about being a publicist as well. Uh, but you know what? I, I well, let's get to the night agency. Um, yeah, let's start there. Tell me a little bit about the Knight Agency and why it's the best literary agency to be re- to be representing everyone listening.
1: Oh, great question! Well, the Knight Agency started in 1996 um, by Deirdre Knight um, of the Knight Agency, and that's why we're located in Madison. Um, Deirdre lives there, and we have a separate office there. Um, and it's really just a great industry uh, agency. It's grown so much; we now have nine agents spread all over the U.S. Um, And what I liked about it is I had kind of heard of the night agency, even as a publicist, one of the agents on our team had a few books at Random House Children's Books when I was a publicist. And it just had this great reputation of being respected. We work with great foreign agents, we work with film, we do audio, but at its core, it kind of has this family business, um, really collaborative feel, and that translates into how we navigate our authors' careers. And I just love that. I love, you know, part of the reason I got into this was because I wanted to help authors reach their goals and help them, you know, navigate. And Knight Agency takes a really hands-on approach to that, which kind of mirrors what I like to do with my clients.
0: So how, uh, cause I know that you were mentored by Deidre Knight, right?
1: Yes, how, I was. Uh, did you come from publicist
0: in New York to saying, yes, Deidre Knight, I'll follow you anywhere here. I'm coming to Atlanta. When, uh, when did you get involved with the agency?
1: Uh, you know, I had actually, I had moved out of New York. I'm trying to think of the timeline, actually. But uh, I took a brief, stint. I left publishing. I was like, there's no way to make money in publishing. And I realized how much I missed it. And so I got this email that they were looking. I had already just moved to New, to Atlanta and actually thinking about moving back to New York. Um, this is kind of a convoluted story, I guess. Um, and I got this email and it just felt serendipitous that I had really was trying to figure out a way to make publishing work against all odds and to have this opportunity potentially land in my lap. Um, So I did. I emailed Deirdre and we met right away. Um, And she was just wonderful. I loved the night agency. I was so excited to mentor under her um, and just learned so much when I did.
0: Well, now I've got to ask you a couple of questions (laughs) questions about... um, I know.
1: That was like, I was like, so I was here.
0: Well, I'm always curious uh, for folks that uh, imagine they can – because I, I, I have this uh, probably overly optimistic view that almost nobody really gets into publishing for money. I'm sure they're out there. I just haven't really encountered them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but people that people. don't say – if they say, oh, my God, my goal is money. I should write a book. That's not <laughs> – that's – that's not a, a logical through line. Uh, so when you're thinking I'm I'm done with publishing, I don't want to do this anymore. What was what was your next choice? What could you see yourself doing outside of publishing?
1: I did PR briefly, just straight PR. Um, it was a really grueling job, actually, and I did like it. It was cool. It was a lot of tech um, PR and for the most part, I enjoyed it, but I just realized how much I liked working in books and it really had nothing to do with being a publicist because a lot of those skills transferred really easily. But I was like, I really just want to work with books again. Um, So like I said, I thought about moving to New York and was just like, you know what, I'll just move to New York. I'll live in a little shoebox forever and it will be fine. That's just the way my future has to go. Um, You know, so be it, goodbye, you know, having an affordable lifestyle in Atlanta. And I I think I had decided and like pretty much that day got an email about the job from the Columbia listserv of this job in Atlanta and I was like this has to be my this is it this is what I have to do so that's kind of how and I think it was really only within two months of moving to Atlanta I'm trying to remember the timeline because I've now been with the night agency for I think six years so this was a while ago. (laughs) <laughs> but trying to remember how. Do you all remember what together. you had
0: for breakfast?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and then I committed a murder, and then I'm trying to think how this all went. Well,
0: that's the Did you
1: tell everyone it's eight forty-five at night? <laughs> I feel like that's important information. <laughs>
0: Well, that, that, I think, speaks very broadly for your capability and your passion as an agent. Christy <laughs> Hunter is so passionate, she will kill for you. <laughs> so we'll put that out there. Right. <laughs> well, what uh, what was the fun of being involved?
1: I just think it's an amazing thing. There's You can shape what people have access to, and it's so important right now. I think for so long in publishing, people thought that you know white men were the only people putting out worthy material. And that's not the case. So I really, um, books have always had a special place in my heart, just the, the ability to escape through them in any given time. Um, so I just like being part of that process. I think it's a really special one.
0: Well, let me jump ahead. This is a question. I, 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 feel it's only fair to ask every publishing professional I ever talk to. So I try to be real consistent and make sure I ask everybody. Um, we had uh, Lamar Giles, and I never get tired of bragging uh, that Lamar came on uh, oh, a few episodes back. Check the back catalog, esteemed audience, well worth your time to listen to. Uh, he, of course, was one of the founding members of We Need Diverse Books, which exists because we need diverse books. And we are getting, I, I like to think publishing is getting a little bit better, uh, but still a long way to go. So what are you seeing being done to increase diversity offerings in literature? What are you doing? What is the night agency doing?
1: So that's a really good question. I think, you know, you're seeing more diverse books being published and just people not being roadblocks. I mean, that's step one, right? And then I think step two is realizing that publishing in itself is, and by that I mean the people who work in publishing Are not that diverse and that really hinders how you can acquire these books so I think what you're seeing is figuring out a way to really support um people of color working in publishing and that starts at the ground level and what I've seen um you know we talked a little bit New York is so expensive and a lot of times getting into the publishing there's this expectation that you'll have these internships that Um, you know, you're essentially working for free, but living in New York at a high cost. And so I'm seeing more paid internships, which I think are helpful. Um, And I heard more discussions about uh, remote internships, which I think are also really, really helpful. And then in terms of me, I just really believe in these stories, really seeking out these authors. There's so many great ways um, to get in contact with these authors, Pet is coming up, which I'm always really excited to participate in. And I think also just putting out a message that these books are so important and that publishing is hungry for them. That's something that I noticed when i go to conferences, you know, when you're in publishing, you're in this bubble and you think everyone knows what you know, you know, I'm seeing on Twitter, these calls for diverse books, that publishers are more open to it, but that doesn't always spread throughout, you know, beyond our bubble. And so talking at conferences, I still get questions, you know, my main character is black. Is that something that publishers even want? And you're like, oh my gosh, yes, of course. And you realize there's just so much damage done that you have to undo um, to make sure these writers know that they are supported and that their works matter.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, an awkward position—not you personally, but that publishing finds itself in. Like, hey, we're not—we're trying not to be racist anymore. Just ignore most of our history. (laughs) Yeah, just (laughs)
1: forget—forget that we're on a new page, you know. But I mean, truthful. Yeah, I mean. I, I think there there's a long way still to go, as you said.
0: In fairness to publishing, they are hardly the only American institution of which that is true. <laughs> so just, just to Absolutely.
1: Put that- right. You know, media, I think, just in general, and, you know, movies are seeing a, a change, too, which has been great. But, yeah, every, lots of industries are guilty for sure. Um,
0: excellent. Excellent. So I'm I'm glad that you're in the fight, Uh, Knight. This is in the fight. Gonna do all right. So, um, let's uh, skip over uh, New York then, and let's get to what does uh, being mentored by Deidre Knight look like?
1: Oh, well, that's a really fun thing to have. Deidre is just incredible. She's at her core an amazing salesperson. I think that was one of the things I picked up the most about her. When she's passionate about something and talking about a book. You're not, you just have to have it. Like She's amazing. Um, but I felt really fortunate working with her. I also worked with Elaine on foreign rights. I worked with Deirdre just seeing her contracts, her deals, um, her day-to-day, and then starting out I was also uh, our submission coordinator. Um, so I'd see every submission that came in and vet it before it went to any agent. This was a uh, pre-query manager. Uh, we now use query manager so all agents just get their own queries. But before that, I would read and respond to every query. Uh, and that just kind of laid my foundation. I now have my own list of clients, obviously, um, but that gave me a bird's eye view of everything I would need to know to be a, a successful agent. Um, and it's just, just it, the best. She's just the best to learn under.
0: <laughs> For uh, those of us that uh, haven't had the experience, what's, what what is query manager versus a submission coordinator?
1: Oh, okay. So that's a great question. So when I was a submission coordinator, things would just go to like a regular email box. It was submissions at nightagency.net. and I was, you know, just a normal human would go through everything and respond um, or or forward it to agents. Now there's this uh, computer program, I guess called query manager that a lot of agencies use. So you're uploading things as a form. Um, So each agent has their own portal you can upload your query to and that's checked directly by the agent. So no longer am I needed to respond, because we really pride ourselves on responding to every email, but now thanks to Query Manager, you can use a form, uh, whereas before I would actually um, take the letter, uh, write in the person's name, send it on you know, via email, but it, it was all done uh, without using a, a, a computer program.
0: Oh, Query Manager
1: is much more efficient. <laughs>
0: Well, I saw you guys are bragging uh, on the website—not bragging, but stating uh, on the website uh, that you uh, will have about a two-week turnaround time to get back to the querier.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, I was just drooling over. It. Oh my god! Because uh, I'm an old man, I, I I did this back in the days of the the self-addressed stamped envelope. Um, so two weeks, uh what, what 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 privileged writers are are about in the world now, really getting a turnaround that fast? So. Um does the query manager do things like flag emails where somebody's, you know, spammed every agent within the agency with the same query?
1: No, you know, we still just read everything. Um there's no sort of shortcuts or anything like certain things are going to trash automatically. There's none of that. We just really pride ourselves um as an agency, as an agent personally, I love when people get back to me. Um so we try to extend that same courtesy to authors. Um you know, two weeks is kind of like I would say our goal. I'm sure I'm sure i've had times where it's been three weeks or four weeks but i definitely set that goal the for myself
0: author is listening right now been
1: <laughs> two and a half weeks okay well. yeah yeah you know <laughs> you know it's kind of funny i do it in batches and i have definitely have gotten feedback sometimes when something has fallen in that day and i'm doing the full batch and they'll be like they had my query for three hours and they responded i'm like i read it i was just you were in that batch so you kind of can't win because uh i think there is the thought if you read too quickly you're not maybe giving full consideration, and you know that's just not the case. We just really um, believe that submissions are important, that cultivating new talent is important, and because of that, we don't want to leave authors just wondering. You know, we want we want to give them a definitive response whenever it's possible.
0: So, how many uh, queries are you receiving on an average day?
1: You know, for me, I probably get about twenty a day i'm a, a a newer agent um i know when i was doing the submission inbox some of our more senior agents see a lot more
0: gotcha and uh, so you've got that seasoned experience that you know how to tear through an inbox uh, pretty quickly right
1: <laughs> yeah so i think the submission coordinator kind of set me up for that because i would go through through everything and you just learn to see really what works and you know we ask for sample pages so there's always that opportunity um, you know, if the query sounds interesting, but maybe it's just a little discombobulated, you know, I go straight to the s- sample pages and see what we're working it with. Um, so just that kind of like, let's see, let's see, let's see um, kind of mentality.
0: So, okay, my uh, brand new uh, submission hits the inbox. What are you looking at first? How are you, how are you evaluating it and how quickly can you do it?
1: Yeah, I, usually pretty quickly. First of all, I'm looking just to make sure it's something I represent. Um, sometimes I just get queries that aren't even what I represent. So that's an easy, fast no. Um, you know, I don't do picture books. Um, You know, I don't do, uh, I only do a certain genre of adult. adult. I do really just women's fiction and rom coms at this point. So that kind of helps me weed things pretty quickly in that regard. Then I'm looking just at the basics. You know, if you're writing middle work grade, you know, what is the word count? Is it 200,000? You know, that's going to make me be like, Oh, I'm gonna have to really love this story to take on a 200,000 word middle grade and get it in shape for submission. Um, so those are Would things. That'll
0: just get a with a sample, get a look, even
1: 200,000. My dear I'm usually one who will be generous with large word counts because I kind of feel like we can always whittle it down. To um, that 100,000, obviously, is a little bit <laughs> crazy for <laughs> that regard. Um, but I'm looking at that, and then I just, you know. It only takes me a second. You know, a query should probably take up about three quarters of a page. Um, it doesn't need to be long to be well-written. Um, so that only takes me a few seconds to review and know, you know, what's the hook? Is this something fresh? Is this something that makes me excited to read on for the sample pages? Um, and it's just, just something I like, because as an agent, I sometimes see projects that I'm like, ooh, this is good, but this isn't for me. I, I'm not going to be the right agent for this. Um, And so I think kind of that's the hardest one is when you know, something's good, but you're not sure you're the right person for it. Um, But just kind of trusting your gut. Um, That kind of helps me make the fastest decisions. It's just, that's, do I feel that spark or do I not?
0: Without uh, boring folks. Uh too much because i know we've always got a nice mix listening to the show uh some folks that have just wrote their first query or are about to write their first query ever to you uh, and folks that have been on the i call it the query go around uh, which is a fairly common phrase um for you know years uh and, and and they've got this down when you're looking at a query how would you prefer that open you want to hear about the author do you want to just straight to the pitch for the story what would you like
1: pretty much straight to the pitch, Um, you know, sometimes I see people lead with like, you know, this is a YA thriller and this is the word count and that's fine. That doesn't really bother me either way. That can sometimes come at the end too. But um, I think beginner authors sometimes make the mistake of front loading too much about themselves. You know, this is a story I've been working on for 10 years. It's this, it's that. I work as a fisherman and it's just really what I need as a good story. that's the most important part. So as fast as you can get to like what your story is, what is the hook? Um, that's that's better. That's ideal because you know, like I said, I go through so many. I don't really have the time to kind of sort through the information. So if you can write it in a concise way, um, and there's so so much great information out there about doing strong queries, but um, so it's definitely doable. Um, but that's the best way to do it, and helps me evaluate your project.
0: Do you want to hear how I learned about you? I heard, I heard you on the Middle Grade Ninja podcast. You sounded fantastic. So that's why I thought you might query or just get to the pitch. I don't care how you heard about me.
1: That's, you know, that's fine. And if there's a relevant information, like I do, um, I'll put out tweets um, with the MSW, MSWL hashtag every so often, like looking for this, looking for that. And if people see that and they feel it's relevant to their work and they want to reference it, that's great. Um, you know, I, I never hate when people do their their homework. Um, I think if it becomes a stretch for why you are, you know, like if my MSWL um, said something very specific and you you reference it and then your book has nothing to do with that, you know, I wouldn't stretch the connection. It's okay if there's not a connection. But if there is one or if there is a specific reason, you know, you love my author's work and your project's similar, you know, feel free to mention it. But I don't think you have to fabricate something to get an agent's interest.
0: I understand you're looking for rom-coms. The protagonist in my political thriller loves rom-coms also. So.
1: Right. Well, you know, you'd be surprised if people will make that stretch. And I think it comes from the idea that, you know, agents aren't actually reading their queries, that they're just kind of, like like you said, flagging certain things. And I read every single query. So there's no reason to try to, like, trick me into opening it. Like, I'm going to open it. <laughs> but
0: uh, it's August, sorry, August, April 9th. So as of April 9th, 2020, what sorts of projects are you looking for? What do you hope it shows up in your inbox?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think right now I'm pretty open to anything. What I keep saying is I just need an escape. I think we all need that right now. Just like that wonderful read that just kind of pulls you in and you're just there, you're in that different world. Um, It doesn't let go, it's a great voice. And so that can be anything. I represent middle grade YA and adult. so right now, anything, give me that read. I'm reading submissions. And for me, work is a great escape and submissions are a great escape. Um, so I'm just looking for that good story.
0: So you find yourself reading even more now that uh, we're, we're avoiding the news and <laughs> all sorts of uh, unpleasant thoughts that might that might come while we're in quarantine?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, readings, I think that's probably one of the reasons I, I've always liked books. I think reading is such a great escape. Um, you just really get sunk, sucked into that world, um, so yeah, I'm definitely reading, reading submissions, reading regular books as much as I possibly can with the new situation, it's definitely, um, some of my submission reading time has been interrupted with, with the new flow of things, but still doing a lot of reading.
0: See, I had, uh, read something in your request that I wanted to make sure I wrote it down because I want to make sure I asked you about it. So I know that you're a big fan of fantasy type stories. I'm assuming that's still true. Yeah. Uh and you had said that it was what was it atmospheric fantasy uh, yeah. specific that you're looking for? Is that the Yeah atmospheric setting a fantasy with a wonderful atmospheric setting and I thought okay what is what is an atmospheric setting? How am I gonna answer <laughs> in your head with
1: this? You know, for me, so this is probably subjective, so this is my definition, and so people may debate it, but, you know, I'm just looking for the atmosphere to really be part of the character. Like, it's just this pervasive, almost it sets the tone of the story, the the atmosphere is so rich. And specifically for me, my my favorite books um, are kind of like sweater weather reads. Like, I picture myself on, like, a coast, um, you know, in a cable knit sweater and tea, and that's kind of the feel of the story um one of my favorite books um song songs from the deep which is kelly powell which is one of my clients and um her story came from that and it's set on a fictional island called twillingale and it's it kind of has that kind of irish coast feeling and as soon as i got that submission i was like i'm i'm sold like i love i can't get enough of that kind of setting so for me that's always something i'm looking for
0: so irish coast huge plus if you've got it. doesn't Ireland,
1: have to be right? Ireland, but that kind of, you know, <laughs> that kind of misty, miserable, um, it kinda has this anything can happen kind of atmosphere. It's just kind of dreary. I love it. I live for it. Maybe because I'm from Cleveland, um, which is like kind of a cold, dreary place in itself. Um, that's my comfort zone. That's my happy place. <laughs> so I like stories that kinda ha- take me there.
0: And if you've got a fantasy set in Cleveland, well, for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who wouldn't want to escape to Cleveland, right? (laughs) Or (laughs) (laughs) vacation.
0: I'm
1: sure everyone's hoping to go there when the pandemic is over.
0: (laughs) Ah, and then, um, well, I'm always curious with setting. Um, I, I, I guess it—you know it's, it's one of those things that's gonna depend on what the type of story is, but how much uh, time being spent on setting is too much
1: time? You know, it's really gonna depend on the story. You know, world—you know if it's a fantasy, world building's gonna be really key. If it's, you know, rom-com, you can kind of maybe set the mood and people know. Um, so I think there's no right answer for how much time needs to be spent on the setting, but it needs to be enough that the reader can picture them there easily within the page as
0: no I want you to tell me the exact number of sentences to write, <laughs> and that's what I'm doing from now
1: on <laughs> I'm gonna need a two solid paragraph <laughs> <laughs> <Perfect. laughs>
0: ah and then um uh what is it that uh, that attracts you to fantasy and, and magical realism
1: I think it's just the escape you know that's kind of fun you know so much especially now when you're going about in day-to-day it's very stressful and sometimes you know, there aren't easy solutions to have these kind of fun, magical solutions or magical problems can be kind of refreshing. Um, I just love it, it transports you. And um, I'm someone who grew up, I think I was 10 when the first Harry Potter came out and he was 10 and, you know, that was a book that is for so many people played such an important part of their childhood, but I would, you know, each year get older and so would Harry and that kind of maybe first made me really love magic and that escape.
0: And Did you read uh, the the first book when it came out?
1: I did. not right away. I, I think it was like maybe like a few months later, like it had, it had already become a thing before i I picked up a copy. but yes, I and I did. I loved it.
0: I remember when I read it, I was uh, in college. Uh, and the fourth book had just come out because I was waiting tables away from classes and I had four kids come in and they all had Goblet of Fire and they all sat there reading it while their parent just ate <laughs> and, and talked to me because the kids weren't talking. Was, what is this book? I have to I have to read it immediately. Uh, and then I went home and ate my heart out because, oh, my God, why am I trying to be writer when this exists? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then something else She said, this is another impossible question I specialize oh, in. Oh,
1: no. <laughs>
0: um, but you say that you're looking for voice-driven stories, and I'm always looking for that big, nebulous definition of author voice. What, uh, what advice do you have for authors that are looking to cultivate the sort of voice that, that, that will drive a story? Oh,
1: that is so, well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Because if there was just one way to do it, My job would be so much easier. I would just tell everyone the secret and then sign everyone and my job would be done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think really to get that voice, it's tough to capture on page, but I think it's also really just knowing your character so well that really the devil's in the detail and how a character describes things and see things and perceive things, little slights. You just know your character so well that you're always in his world or his eyes or her eyes or... Um, and it just informs every decision I think when authors are really able to do that it makes the character come more alive on the page um, and it's hard to do but I think it really starts with knowing your character really spending that time to build this character out in your mind
0: makes sense to me uh, when you work with uh, your your um, your clients or whatever writers you happen to be working with um, Do you recommend some specific things that they can do to strengthen their characters and strengthen their voice?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends. You know, each client and each manuscript is different. But I do always recommend, you know, knowing your character and spending enough time to see how they would handle each situation. Um, Even secondary characters. I think that's where voice really matters is i think a lot of people can develop their main character but where the story starts to fall flat is these secondary characters are just caricatures um and so really making sure that no matter how minor the role someone might play they need to be fully fleshed out
0: gotcha so my The example I always use when I, when I teach in class of the, the ideal secondary character is Detective Kinderman uh, in uh, The Exorcist, uh, because a fun fact uh, that I'm a nerd, so I know William Peter Blantley uh, sold The Exorcist as a film uh, before he sold it as a book, uh, and the film ended up being delayed, but they liked the Detective Kinderman so much they spun him off into his own television show, which became Columbo. Uh, so I always say, write a secondary character so great that it could sustain <laughs> multiple seasons of television on, on their own.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, and then um, let's. Uh, who, who are some of the uh, clients that you've worked with so far?
1: Yeah, um, well, L'Oreal Ryan, who is fantastic. Uh, we were talking earlier, but she has her book that just came out this Tuesday, Into the Tall, Tall Grass. It's a magical realism, uh, middle grade story, uh, and it's just, I mean, it's fantastic. The, that is a story that its initial pages just blew me away. Um, you're seeing the main character, Yolanda, walks in, and her grandmother is sick, and she has these beautiful butterflies just nesting in her hair. And it's just such a rich image, and, and it raises so many questions in my my head, and uh, she's just really a fabulous author. Um, I also work with Kelly Powell, who we talked about, who songs from the deep, and she has her next book coming out with um, Simon and Schuster in 2020, um, and she's just gorgeous writing, atmospheric setting. Um, I also work with Lizelle Sanberry, who her debut um, fantasy, uh, a black witch's story set in a futuristic Toronto, so it's very fun. Um, very, very interesting. Um, it's coming out with Simon Schuster as well, and that's coming out in 2021. Um, but again, very different voices, but all really strong, unique voices, and, and pretty much that's what really captured me for each of those those authors. Let's
0: move past the initial query stage. Okay, so you get my, my query and you say, oh my God, this is the most wonderful query I've ever read. I, I must reach out to this author immediately how would you reach out to me to talk about the book and what would the next step be from there?
1: Yeah. So if I like, so if I like the query, then I request the manuscript and I also usually request the synopsis right away um, too. I just love synopsis. Uh, It just helps me kind of, when I start to see an issue maybe in the manuscript, if I can refer to that and see maybe what you're doing and what's not translating um, that can be helpful. And then, you know, I start reading um, and if all goes well, I finish it and I love it. And then the next step would be, I will email you and say, I love, love, love your manuscript. I would love to hop on the phone. Um, when can we do that? And then we kind of go from there.
0: So uh, if I send you my manuscript, I'm sure this is subjective depending on what you've got going on, uh, with, with all of your other client load, but how long can I expect, uh, to hear back from you?
1: That is a great question. I it can be anywhere from like 2 days um to I try to respond to everyone within 4 months. Um so it kind of varies and a lot of times I know authors can overthink being like, "Oh, she signed that person after reading, you know, the manuscript in a night and she's had mine for 2 months, you know, she must not like it as much." And that's not really the case. A lot of it has to deal with what, you know, life and work and where I'm at. Sometimes things just hit my manuscript of my My inbox at the right time and I can just download it and read it that night and then sometimes you know I have client work and it can take a little bit longer even though I'm just as excited to read it but I do try to get back to everyone within four months I would say average time is two two months would be my average
0: gotcha so okay so you read my manuscript and what if it's pretty good but not quite great um but you can see potential in it what happens then
1: you know, it kind of depends. It depends what the concept is. If I'm just so in love with the concept, I'm like, you know what, we can we can make this work. If there's a question in my mind, if I can make it work, I do sometimes offer a revise and resubmit, and I will highlight um, in an email where I could see corrections and then see what you come back with, and then I can kind of go from there. Gotcha. But I do take on most projects I never take on a project thinking there's going to be no edits. Um, you know, no project is perfect. So it kind of just depends how many edits and if I feel like I have the fix for where I'm seeing the problem. Sometimes you'll see a problem and you're like, hmm, what, what can we do? What can we do? Um, and then sometimes it's so clear. And that's kind of how I know when I'm the right person for it. If I feel like I have the, the voice needed to make it a stronger story, or convey the author's vision. And that's more confirmed though when we hop on the phone or chat further.
0: Okay, so if uh, we have our conversation and you say, "Hey, I'm thinking maybe we make some of these changes," and I say, "Heresy, madam! This is the most perfect manuscript. The the divine voice of God told me this manuscript. We can change not a word. Then that's probably going to be a short conversation."
1: (laughs) You know, depending on where I see the issues, but probably, yeah, that would be a hard. Because even if I was okay with that, it's going to be a hard sell to a publisher <laughs> that you print it as is.
0: <laughs> well, no, uh, no writer smart enough to listen to this show would ever yell Harris <laughs> the end of conversation with this. Yeah. When that phone call happens, what um, what are you looking? How, how does a successful version of that call go?
1: You know, I think there's a lot of stress that there's like this this one way to do it or you're trying to win me over and really it's just a conversation to see what the author's goals are where they see the manuscript and i always when i offer representation um go into fair detail about where i see edits and the scope of the edits you know if i think it's a few rounds if it might be something more intense just to make sure our visions are aligned um and that's something the author would want to do and i think just kind of get a feel of where they see their career going I sometimes like to hear what the next project is because um, as much as possible i like to be a career agent and so that sometimes helps me kind of see where they they see their go- themselves going and focusing um but there's really no right, right way to do the conversation it's really just a conversation at that point and really letting the author also get to know me um you know i'm on the spot just as much as they are especially if i really love that manuscript i'm I could be already worried that you know someone else might snag it. So it's a definitely a two-way street when you hop on the phone.
0: Well, if I say, hey, I, I'm talking to another great agent that I heard on the Middle Grade Ninja podcast, and they don't want to make half the changes you do, does that, <laughs> does that change the conversation a little bit about uh, changes you're willing to make? Or do you stand firm and say, nope, I, this is what I see for the book, and if we're not there, then I'm not the right fit for you?
1: Uh, definitely what another agent sees, I think at a at a, you know you can approach books different ways So i'm not so concerned what other agents want to do but definitely it's more of a conversation of where the author sees it and how they're responding to those changes and for me when i give notes a lot of times it's highlighting a problem and the solutions i give are just suggestions or a way for an author to springboard um from that so it's not necessarily set in stone, or you know it's my way or or the highway um So it does, you know. There's not one way, but I, I definitely, um, you would have a conversation and kind of see why, where I'm seeing issues in the manuscript and how we can maybe address them in other ways. Um, but it's definitely a dialogue. Edits are a dialogue. Edits are a collaborative experience, and so I'm always open to that, even at the phone call level, um, or the awful offer level. You know, we can we can start there.
0: Okay, so if I'm uh, if you're making suggestions for revision, is that at the phone call level? or Does that happen before we get there?
1: I will usually set up the phone call for the offer, and then we could just discuss where I see edits needed. Yeah, I usually don't send them over in an email just because I think it's easier to walk through them. For the reasons you're saying, you know, what if, you know, the author feels really strongly about something, I think it's easier to talk it out and be like, oh, you know, I can see why you're saying that. I can see how it's not translating on the paper. Let's see what else we can do to maybe achieve that. Um, So I think having a dialogue makes it a little bit easier than just an email.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, And then you'll offer even before I've made the changes?
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, unless we're doing a revise and resubmit, then in that case, you know, the notes are coming through, through an email. It's not an offer. It's more of let's see where we can get this manuscript, if we can get it to a place that I can offer. But if I've offered, you don't need to make the edits until you sign with me.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, but if I get that that notice from you that, hey, I would like you to make these revisions, if you do, please resubmit it. I should definitely take that serious because you're on the fence about making the offer, right?
1: Yeah. I, you know, if you're interested in working with me, I hope, you know, you do. I think what authors sometimes do is mistake that for a very fast turnaround. And usually, you know, if it was an easy edit, I would have offered representation because I'm expecting to do some, like, work. It's a much deeper edit. so. I appreciate when authors approach it that way and take the time that's needed. Um, I think they just worry that the, the offer's gonna go off the table and it really, it never expires. You know, Take the time um, you need to, to do the changes and do justice if, if they match with the vision that you have for your project and, and really then send it to me and then I can evaluate it further.
0: And then, if you're asking me, what what other projects am I working on? Do you want to hear that I've just set you a middle grade and I have another middle grade, or would you prefer that I could show you how flexible I am and I've got a, an adult rom com uh, that that will fit both your needs? I could be the only client you ever need. I can write all of your 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 requests.
1: You no, know, that's a good question. And really, there's not a right answer. I think what I'm looking for is just you know, am I I an agent that could do your career? Are you you know just doing this one middle grade, but you really see yourself you know, as a finance business expert, and that's really where you see your career and you're doing this one off middle grade book, that can kind of just give me a better idea of where I might fit into your career. You know, I don't do finance books, you know, maybe, maybe I can be just your middle grade agent, or maybe you really need someone who can kind of manage both and maybe that's not me. So I think it's just more of a conversation of seeing how we fit together. Um, so there's not a right answer, I'm not looking for anything, but more just kind of seeing where we're both at and how we could approach the relationship.
0: Sure. Um, so, okay, uh, we, we, we get to that point. We, we've got uh, contracts been signed. I'm working on the revisions. I get them to you, maybe we go through three rounds. What happens next?
1: We go through three, uh, you know, so you sign with me, we do the edits, we feel really good about the project. Then comes um, the submission list and I'm really transparent with my clients. So I will send who we're doing our first round submission to, you know, the edit, editor's name in the house. And then I will also send you the pitch that I'm actually sending to the editor so you can weigh in and then we go out on submission and I will tell you when we go out, I'll tell you what response is. I'll send you any responses and then we kind of just go from there and we're out on submission and then that process was a little fluid because depending on responses, it can kind of take a shape of its own.
0: So without getting into too many specifics, because I don't want to put you in a position where you can't answer, given away your secrets. <laughs> I don't want
1: to give all my trade secrets <laughs> away, but
0: yeah. But um, let's say I don't know. What we'll, if we do a first round of maybe three, five? What's a good first round look like, or is that a trade secret?
1: Um, you know, I don't know if it's a trade secret. I think it depends on the book and, and the genre a little bit. Um, but I would say maybe like 10 could be good, 10 to 12. But it, it kind of depends on the book um, and the situation.
0: So if we get, I don't know, eight no's and two maybes, what do we do then? Do we keep submitting or are we going to revisit the manuscript? When do you know it's a good idea to revisit the manuscript?
1: You know, it really just depends how the author's feeling about the feedback, how I'm fe- feeling about the feedback, and what the actual feedback is. I mean, the industry is really, really subjective. You you know, a book that sells could have 20 no's behind it, you know, so it's not necessarily we got no's, we need to pull it or change it. Um, but it, then again, the responses could maybe highlight an issue that we were blind to and that we do want to adjust before we go wider. Um, so it kind of just depends on the situation and how we see what would make the most sense
0: and then uh if i'm your uh, neurotic uh client hopefully I'm, I'm 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 completely selling you on the idea that you do not want me for a client <laughs> over the course of this conversation uh but hopefully the the ideal client is listening now and is uh, is making notes um but uh where was i going with that oh um uh, if uh, we, oh, uh, we're getting no's, or we're getting, is that just, you're going to email me or is it okay if I call you every two days and say, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Will you just talk to me for a little bit and sing a song so I can breathe? <laughs> how much, uh, how, how hands on, on are you with your clients? How much interaction can we expect?
1: I'm pretty hands on, but I definitely have the philosophy of, you know, put your energy into things you can't affect. You know, you can't, change how fast an editor is going to read. You can't change how they feel about a book. And if you're tied up, you know, using all this mental power to think about this, you're not really able to work on anything else. So usually my advice when we go on submission is work on your next project and focus on that because right now it's out of your hands. And I think that's just a better way to use your creative energy. Um, That said, I do just forward responses on um, with my over, you know, like This is my thoughts on that and then you know i'm always happy to hop on the phone and that's up to the client if they feel like they need it if they're fine just reading the feedback um it kind of just depends i always tell authors if we ever need to schedule a phone call just you know let me know and then we'll hop on the phone uh
0: how much is too much if i if i want to call you every day is that too much
1: you know it depends what the situation is um you know there could be a situation where that warrants it like we need to talk every day and but I definitely don't think that's always going to be the case. <laughs> so that might be a lot. Um, but yeah. I need I somebody
0: we, to live watch Tiger King with me. So we can go back. Right. And, is that cool? That you know, might
1: not be where I'm. <laughs> but maybe that kind of sounds fun. So never say never. You know. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I think just just respect that. I, I think most of my clients are really great in realizing that they are my priority. But I also have you know, numerous clients. Um, so just to recognize that balance and that, you know, when something's time sensitive, that's going to get my attention. And then when it's third time sensitive thing, that's a good thing because I'm they have all my attention. But sometimes it's going to be someone else's time sensitive thing. And that's where my attention will be for that moment.
0: <laughs> well, then here's a question. I definitely can't ask you because it will, it, will, it will absolutely involve your trade secrets. So I want to ask you how you negotiate the contract, how you get that going. But let's take the two potential scenarios. We get a yes. You're excited about it. I'm excited about it. We're going for it, and nobody says yes. It's back to the drawing board. We're we're out of places to submit to. What happens in in each of those? Where do we go next? So, sorry. What was the first scenario? Uh, first one is we've got a we've we've got a publisher. You've masterfully negotiated a fantastic contract. I'm thrilled with it. You're thrilled with it. The publishers, you know, that they, they wish they didn't have to pay so much money, but they they didn't reckon with having to deal with Christie uh, the, 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 the incredible agent. Um, so that once the book is sold and we're moving on, how involved are you in that process? And then let's circle back and say, what do we do if we don't sell the book?
1: Okay. So in the first scenario from there, I'm still pretty involved. Like I like to be copied on things. I get to see your publicity plans. We can discuss that, see, you know, what you should maybe ask about, um, you know, any sort of question, especially I work with a lot of debut authors, so a lot of things are just, is this normal? Is this normal? Should this be happening? And I'm happy to weigh in on that. And so it's kind of helpful for me to be copy because I can see what they're, they're seeing and be like, yes, this is normal. Yes, that's fine. Um, and then in terms of editorial, though, I definitely take a back seat because they're not working with the publisher house in the editor. Um, so I am copied on that, but I don't usually weigh in unless there's any sort of issue. Um, and I do, I think that the relationship between the author and the editor is just as important as that of the author and the agent. So as much as possible, I don't want to be a middleman and be a barrier between that, um, and tend to step in more when maybe it's something that's easier that comes from me that maybe is a more sensitive issue or if there's a problem, um, then I'm right there having been copied to kind of jump in and, and be that advocate for my client, um,
0: What kind of generic issues, having absolutely no relation to any real life scenario with a client you've ever dealt with, but what types of things might come up where you'd feel the need to step in?
1: Oh, that's a good question. And trying to not name things that are like in my head are all the situations that have come up that are very specific, and I don't want to name those. Um, But you know, just disagreements, things that maybe um, you know, editorial, but you know, maybe title isn't working, maybe um you know changes to the book that don't feel organic um you know maybe their editor just isn't responding quickly and haven't gotten an answer on something we need an answer i can kind of nudge um it can really be any number of things um but yeah just just there i mean usually i mean publishing is great everyone is trying to make the best book possible, and and as we said, aren't it because they have a passion for it? Um, So it's never like I'm coming in guns blazing, but I think sometimes having an outside person um, to kind of address an issue can take some of the emotion out of it, and that can kind of lead to a more productive conversation.
0: Gotcha, that makes sense. Um, And then, okay, so you're staying out of it, you're looking at publicity, what else are you doing in preparation for launch, And, and what are we doing once we get there?
1: as an agent um you know i'm just looking at the plans with the publisher making sure everything is going smoothly everything seems to be on time my author's being looped in my author's happy with the direction things are going um you know we start to think about the next project how we want to approach that um yeah pretty much all those things and it really just depends on the author and the project um but any number of things i'm really there to be the authors guide through the process, um, especially especially debut authors who you know, like I said, everything is new. Um, just making sure they understand, you know, every step, and if they have any questions, I'm there.
0: Okay, so now comes time for the next book, follow up book, um, which hopefully I've, I've I'm so responsible I've already half written, but assuming that's not the case, how involved do you like to be? Do you want to spitball ideas for what the book should be with me from that early stage? When do you want to get involved?
1: I usually get involved pretty early. I'm always happy to hear like ideas, um, you know, even just like, like I always say, like, you know, the hook, just the little little pitch that you would, you know, if you, the book sell, sold, you'd put on Publishers Marketplace if you want to just run that germ of an idea by me. Um, so I've kind of looked in every step of the way. From there, I really like to see like a synopsis and um, maybe an outline. Um, I think all my authors work in slightly different ways. I tend to have a more organized mind, so that works really well for me to, um, to see like a synopsis, to see a chapter outline, to see a first initial pages. I have a few authors that are just complete pantsers and they're like, uh-uh, I can't do that. I can't fit that mold. Um, and so I kind of work more with their style of of how they like to approach it. So it kind of just depends, but I'm always there to to hear ideas and kind of see um, you know where I think it could fit into the market.
0: And then let's say, you know, I'm working on it and I'm, I'm not a pantser. I've sent you a uh, full <laughs> synopsis with an outline with a pitch and I'm on, I don't know, page 100. And You know, based on my synopsis that if I continue working within two to three months, I'll be at the full draft. When do you start talking about that book? If you happen to be chatting with an editor who mentions they want exactly that type of book, do you mention my book or no, do you wait until it's actually finished?
1: Yeah, you can mention. So, you know, a little bit, sometimes co- contracts will have option clauses to not get too specific. So a lot of times your book will be under option and there's specific uh, windows when that would be submitted. And, you know, they usually have guidelines as to, you know, they want the first 50 pages or the first six chapters. So that's a whole different piece because if, you, the, auth, if the publisher has the option, you have to submit the, the project to them first, obviously. But let's just say they don't. And let's just say, you know, this is just a second project and we're not considering any other factors that we might consider. Um, but yeah, if, if if I'm meeting with an author or an editor for lunch and they say they want this, I'm always talking about my author's projects. I don't think it's too early um, to put that out there and what people might be working on.
0: So back to the other scenario, every every publisher that we uh, send a query to suddenly has a brain parasite, is not thinking straight, <laughs> and they say no. Uh, and, and we run out of options to submit to, what happens then?
1: You, so we have no other options. The book is just not sold. Then we start talking about book number two and what we want to do. You know, your debut you book is a hard book to sell. You have no numbers behind you. You have to prove that there's definitely an audience there. You know, against all doubt. So it can be a hard book. So we'll look at what what we think went wrong, what we think we can change, and kind of use that to shape our approach for book number two and you know keep in mind it's a very subjective industry there are so many amazing amazing books that don't find homes because if you think about it how many imprints are there now how many you know books are on a list that doesn't leave a lot of room and editors only can pick what they love and there is just a taste thing I mean there's a lot of times books just don't sell and I always say to authors Imagine going to a bookstore and you can only pick five books. That's going to be so different for so many different people. And the books you're leaving behind on the bookshelf aren't necessarily bad. Um, So there's a little bit of that, just keeping in mind the subjectivity of of the industry. But I think also a grain of what can we do better or better to, you know, bring up our game and really make sure book number two finds a home
0: at that point are you just kind of culling through the rejections you receive trying to find commonalities between those rejections if
1: there are i mean i think it can you can drive yourself crazy trying to please everyone no one book will please everyone so you shouldn't try um and like except I said,
0: there for is back the giant robot bees. right
1: except for yours <laughs> which is perfect um so i think there is a level of balancing that, realizing you can't please everyone, but also realizing these are industry professionals and, you know, their opinion means something. Um, But I do think it's a balance.
0: Uh, And so, okay, Um, we're back to the drawing board. Um, At that point, do you want to be a little bit more involved with what uh, I'm going to be working on? Um, Or is it still going to be just like if we had sold the book, same same process for getting ready for the next book? (laughs)
1: You know, um, probably about the same. You know, I'm pretty involved with my clients at this point. Um, so I'd want to be involved um, ideally with the idea, you know, hear what it is. Um, so I would say, yeah, I'd say equal, equal involvement, um, pretty hands on there still.
0: Cool. Uh, and then coming up toward book launch, aside from going on uh, fantastic. Uh, podcast and talking about uh, the the pending launching uh, of of your client's books. How involved are you in preparing the book for, not preparing the book, but preparing me for launch? Um, Are you using your skills as a former book publicist, current marketer, to help me figure out how to position myself and the book to succeed?
1: I think I more use my skill. I mean, publicity is shifting so much and what sort of outlets are popular, what outlets exist anymore are shifting. So I'm not really here to be your publicist, but I am here to give you tools to be your best advocate. Because I think, you know, all authors, you have to be your best advocate. And I think I prepare authors for that and what publicity could look like. I think for some authors, you get a huge tour, a huge plan, a huge budget, and that's great. But for a lot of authors, that's just not the case, even if you signed at a, you know, a big five house. Um, And I think the best thing you can do for publicity, I always used to say as a publicist is is when authors help me help you. Um, And so I really encourage authors to take that into their own hand and, you know, set up book events. You know, if you're, uh, a children's author, you know, set up school events, set up library events, and you know, loop your publicist in, always ask them, like, what is the best way that they like for you to handle these things? But um, I think as an author, especially now with bookshelf space shrinking, you have to be your own advocate. Um, and, and look at that not as a negative, but just as a positive and see yourself as a team with the publisher um, in a different way. So I think what I really do knowing that and having been on that other side is prepare them for that and and make sure they have the tools in that regard rather than being their actual publicist and maybe pitching their books to you know various outlets.
0: Well, with the experience you have in book marketing, what are some things you wish every author was doing just base level get ready with at least this these things um, to promote your book?
1: Um, as a publicist, I always say having a website is just so so helpful and. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy, but just a way that people can contact you or find out who your agent is. So just have, you know, your your name, an email address. Um, you know, I always tell my clients they can list my email address, um, just the baseline so that they can get um, in, in touch. And I think that is a really useful tool. Um, you know, nonfiction is going to be so different with your platform. You know, as a fiction uh, writer, do you need a platform? on social media? You know, no, I've had authors that have really strong platforms. I have some that have none. Um, Do I think it can be useful to some extent? I mean, I think it's a great way to connect with, you know, readers and writers doesn't move the needle on sales. I think that's always tough to judge. But I think it can be a useful tool regardless. Gotcha.
0: Uh, makes sense to me. So okay. Uh, while we're while we're talking about this line, and I'm not going to ever ask you an impossible question, like what specific facets of publishing are about to be changed by COVID nineteen, what in the next six months will happen with publishing, with the stock market, who will be president in twenty? <sighs> None of those impossible to answer questions. But knowing that there are lots of authors that are filled with anxiety because so many. Um, uh, events have been canceled. Uh, venues have, have been shut down and hopefully just temporary. Um, what things would you be, what things are you advocating for your clients to do uh, to continue to grow their off their brand and to continue to, to, to move books?
1: You know, I think right now in a p- pandemic, it's just such an unprecedented time. The first thing I say is, you know, do what you need to do just to preserve your mental health, um, to preserve yourself. Like, There's nothing you have to do. You just have to survive it. Like, that's step one. And that, you know, it's not that easy. It's a really, really soul-crushing time for a lot of people. Beyond that, I would say, you know, see where their opportunities are to lift up other writers, you know, work together. Like I said, L'Oreal, she has a a virtual launch with another author. And what I've really seen online is just the community coming together, which has been really, really great of people you know, promoting other people's books that are coming out, um, you know, people setting up virtual launch events, giving buzz. And I think that's so important. But for writers who are like, what am I going to do? You know, is publishing going to exist? What I would say is, of course, publishing will exist. Publishing will always exist. I know there's been so many times I, I remember someone telling me that when TV was first invented, they were like, This is the end of the book. Who would want a book when you can watch TV? (laughs) And, you know, it's just it's not the case. It's just such a special thing to hold a book and the escapism that it provides. And I think now more than ever, people are going to be looking for that escape. Um, So I would say for writers, you know, you know, maybe not but writers who are maybe like feeling bad that they're not using this uh, time to write is to not just don't feel bad. I, I saw this tweet that I really love. It said, it's, um, it's a pandemic, not a productivity contest. And I think that's a really good mentality to have right now um, is to figure out what works for you right now and, and just be fine with that being enough. Um, I think burnout is real in this career. Um, so whatever you can do to preserve that and make sure you don't is you're doing great. <laughs>
0: Um, I won't uh, pretend that I'm not doing any writing because I am, but I am uh, below my usual standard of of productivity. And I'm just bearing in mind that, eh, you know, what of uh, concerns that I have for myself, my family, everything that's going on in the world. My next book, still a concern, a little little shifted downward in the priorities. And I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, some people are thriving and that's great. I mean, you know, it's an interesting time, but I think also, I always tell writers, you know, there's so much to writing that can help craft a story beyond just getting words on a page. You know, you could be reading, you know, some of your favorite comfort reads and kind of thinking back in your head, like, why does this work so well? Like, what what is giving it the staying power? What is, you know, I've read it five times and I'm still finding myself turning the pages and you can kind of feel the beats a bit more. Or, you know, maybe you're trying to fall asleep and you're using, you know, a plot and structure book, a nonfiction book to help you do that. You know, you're kind of internalizing some of the lessons there. So I think... There's a lot to writing you can be doing that's productive, that maybe, you know, it's great if you're getting stuff on the page, but there's also stuff you could just be doing that. You can just check as little wins, and and that's great, too. As an agent, I'm always an author advocate and would love to see, you know, contract. I mean, that's really what an agent's doing is always trying to make the most author-friendly contract possible. Um, so, I mean, I think that's great. I think I'd love to see more author-friendly contracts. Um, you know, I'm someone who started my career in publishing, so I have a very soft spot for what publishing houses try to do, um, and, and the love that is there. So it's kind of, it's kind of both, but I can definitely understand the frustration and I definitely would always love to see more author-friendly contracts across the board. Um, that would be great.
0: What are, if you don't mind me following up, what are some specific things that, um, could happen for contracts to make them more author-friendly?
1: You know, just, just better terms, you know, contracts are designed by the publisher with the publisher's interest at heart and you know the agent's job to really chip away and make sure the author isn't being forgotten in that process
0: christie hunter have you ever seen a flying saucer do you believe in them
1: i have not seen one who do i believe in them i'm typically someone if i don't see it i don't believe it but i think in this case maybe maybe i'll stay strong maybe
0: (sighs) Well, um, for all the uh, writers out there who are listening, if there was uh, something, I'll make this our, our, our final question for the night. This is, I know it's getting late, uh, and I appreciate you being so incredibly generous with your time uh, and your expertise tonight. What, uh, If there was one or two or however many things you like that you wish all the authors listening to would hear and take to heart that would maybe make a difference for their career, what would you tell them?
1: I think patience. I think that's the overriding thing that authors need to have. Um, I think careers are are hard and there's going to be ups and downs. And it's important just to hang in there and play the long game and work on your craft. And I think that really helps authors reach their goal more than any other gimmick. Um, just hang in there.
0: And, Christian, where uh, can esteemed audience find you online, get in touch with you, follow you on Twitter, all that good stuff?
1: Uh, my Twitter handle is Christie S. Hunter and uh, information for querying me and everything else can be found on the night agency website which is www.nightagency.net and there's a lot of info there too.
0: Uh, and as always, esteemed audience, find me at MiddleGradeNinja.com. Uh, check out that audiobook for The Book of David, Chapter 1. It's going to be a lot of fun. Download your free copy of Bannica Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Another wonderful episode in the can. Can't wait to share this with the world. Uh, Christy, I always ask our guests to sign us off with the very ninja-like sign-off phrase, Hiya and what have you. Will you sign us off?
1: Hiya and what have you.